Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. Fear English? My fear is my concern. We need a miracle. They hope to gain their freedom. I'm going to give it to them. A man who gives victory in battle is prized beyond every other man. It's going to be fun. They think he's a kind of prophet. They do, or he does. It's one more failure, and you will find yourself alone. Who are you to know what can be done? Nothing is written. You're the most extraordinary man I ever met. You are using up your nine lives very quickly. For some men, nothing is written unless they write it. Time to be great again, my lord. All right, guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast. I am your host, Jimbo, and today I'm joined by actually both. Both? Oh, both. Both of us. Wow. Both. I can't believe it. Uh, do, does both have names? Both. Now, both um, one both is a Kyle. Bo- of, both one and both two. Yeah, yeah. And both two. Both one, both red and both blue. Exactly. <laughs> oh, Dr. Seuss happy hour here. And who is both two? Who is both two? The name of both two is? He still hasn't given his name. Yeah. I, I, I'm Terrence. There we right, go. Right, yeah. Hello, howdy. That's both two. I'm hey, both howdy. One. 
Uh, you know, it's a wonder how we ever get anything accomplished when we sit down to do this. You guys see what, see what I deal with when I have to record with these two. So today we are talking about uh, one of the uh, longest, one of the epic movies, uh, one of the proclaimed greatest movies of all time. It's on everybody's list, Roger Ebert's list. The thousand and one movies you must see before you die, and I thought I was going to die before I finished it because it was that long. Um, top <laughs> top yeah. top ten on any list you look at, probably. So inspired Lawrence of directors yeah. of Arabia. Um, it's just an epic movie. It's it's in the categories like Ben Hur, um, Gone with the Wind. All I, those I have ones. A quick that, question for this week for you guys. I haven't started yet. Go ahead. It's okay, but like who who watched this in one sitting? Not gonna lie, I'm not gonna lie. You know, there's an intermission for a reason. You take a break, come right back. To it. I, so I took a break for the intermission, but I did come back. I, I, it took me like four days to get through it. So I ain't gonna lie. Uh, About an hour a day. It's like I told Terrence earlier when before we were waiting for Kyle to get here. I said uh, uh, Peter O'Toole spent more time in the sand than David Hasselhoff from Baywatch. I mean, that's how long this movie was. Yeah. Um, but then you know, I watched this before realizing that it was based on a true story. Because mm. I didn't look at any notes. I went in blind. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, that kind of, don't want to say makes it better. It kind of, I can understand what was happening more now that it was, you know what I mean? Because yeah. it was, it was kind of weird for a while, a long time going through there. So, but we'll get to some of the stuff and why. Um, so, uh, let me go ahead and throw another question at you there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you know that that was Obi Wan Kenobi? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as soon yeah, as I saw him, right when he opened his mouth, dude, I was like, <laughs> "Know that voice from anywhere?" Yeah, yeah. Um, and he had a lot of problems with Peter O'Toole too, which we'll talk about. So let's go ahead and jump into this. this is going to be a long one, so we yeah. might lose Terrence halfway through this. I don't know. <laughs> we'll find out. So Lawrence of Arabia release date eleventh of December nineteen sixty two. This doesn't have a rating. Rated NA. Budget. Fifteen million, which, if you can count for inflation, is a hundred and thirty-eight million today. Uh, I looked at the inflation percentage; it was about eight hundred and four percent. That's crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. It is uh, opening weekend USA and Canada uh, twenty point eight thousand. Uh, if you can count for inflation, that's a hundred and ninety-one point eight. Thousand, <laughs> usually one of the millions, not this time. Uh, gross USA and Canada, forty five point three million. If you can count for inflation, that's a four hundred and sixteen point nine million. Uh, gross worldwide, forty five point seven million. So it only made about three, about four. <laughs> only made three about one. <laughs> four hundred. Only made about four hundred thousand overseas. Uh, so we're looking at forty-five point seven million worldwide, and then if you can count for inflation, that's four hundred and twenty point seven million. Uh, so it it was a rounding success, considering um, how long it is. I couldn't imagine sitting in the theater for four hours, not for this anyway. Well, they always give those intermissions too, though. You know, yeah, where well, so. you would definitely be taken at that point. <laughs> but then again, you go watch Lord of the Rings, and it's almost three hours, and you don't bat an eye. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, no, still, yeah, or Avengers, something like that. Right. Like, you know, still, like, they're pushing the three-hour barrier. Well, the hard. new Spider-Man movie, even. It was uh, two hours and 40-something minutes, I think. Yeah, but you don't feel it. No. No, this <laughs> one I had a lot more money had to, in each scene, yeah. yeah. I had to empty sand out of my shoes while watching this <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to shave halfway through. <laughs> 
It was long. Uh, <laughs> and there are so many different times and cuts, and we'll get to that in a second. So, box office, 1962. Uh, I just got the top five. So, the first is The Longest Day at number one. At number two, we have this movie, Lawrence of Arabia. Number three, In Search of Castaways. Number four, <laughs> The Touch of Mink. And number five, The Music Man. All I did was put those first three together, the longest day of watching Lawrence of Arabia in search of castaways. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> if, if you're a castaway, you just got to watch this movie by the time you finish it and rescue Somebody it. Right? Found you. <laughs> Somebody found you by then. <laughs> Uh, this was directed by David Lean, who also directed other movies such as The Bridge on the River Kwai, uh, Dr. Uh, Zivgo, I butchered that, I know it, and The Greatest Story Ever Shivago? Told. Yeah, Shivago, yeah. <laughs> Z- Z- Zivago. It's a thought that counts. Zivago. 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 Z forever. Yeah, that's how I got by in high school, all right? Uh, Robert Bolt. Uh, writing credits. <laughs> writing credits. Robert Bolt. Uh, a Man for All Seasons. He also was known for writing uh, movies such as A Man for All Seasons, The Mission, and uh, uh, Dr. Zvago. <laughs> Michael... Wilson, also, for writing the screenplay, originally was uncredited, but was credited in the restoration in 1978 uh, by the WGA. He also helped write other movies such as Five Fingers, Planet of the Apes, and Tempesta. Music by Maurice Jarre. Also wrote music for, and here's a couple interesting ones, uh, so wrote music for Ghost. 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 The uh, Ghost? The Ghost. The yeah. Ghost. That's the right, Witness and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Witness was a good movie. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was all an excellent three. movie. Yeah. yeah. All three of those are good movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, director of photography, we have Freddie Young, uh, down as F.A. Young, who also helped uh, in cinematography of You Only Live Twice, Sword, and Sword of the Valiant. Film editing was done by Annie V. Cortez. Oh, oh sorry, Coates. <laughs> it's been a long day, people. It's a uh, rare form I mean, today. Yeah, of course, of course. Uh, also helped edit uh, movies such as In the Line of Fire, The Aviator, and Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> <laughs> Cinema classic right there. <laughs> Uh, and then produced by uh, David Lean, who was also the director, and Sam Spiegel. This has a runtime, at least at its... Re- so its theatrical cut was 3 hours and 22 minutes. Then, when it premiered in the UK, which actually is where it premiered first, uh, 3 hours and 42 minutes. It's re-released 3 hours and 7 minutes, so they actually cut it down. But then they restored it, and then it got longer at 3 hours and 48 minutes, which is the longest cut, which is the... Cut the, we watched. The, uh, we watched. And including <laughs> the intermission, I believe, brings it to about four hours. Right. Actually. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. But there are some nice uh, musical scores for the intermission too. Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there, there was a lot of really good aspects. This of is an this, amazing like, film, scene for scene, despite there being a lot of scenes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, I'll go ahead and talk about it now. And uh, that was the interesting and also equally like 
I, what, what, what do I want to say? Uh, it it was nice and both not nice that the scenes, how the scenes were shot. Because they were beautifully shot scenes, but they linger a little too long. Because you see, like, you know, the, the this beautiful, like, desert scene. You're like, oh, that's really nice. And then it just sits there for, like, two minutes. You're like, yeah, I, uh, I got it. It's <laughs> not as, like, you know, it, no, it's a modern audience trope a little bit. But like, you know, like, like now, like, a longer scene like that would have played better probably when in time of release. Versus now, it's a little too indulgent, I want to say. But, 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 yeah, but the reason that he did that, the director, is he wanted everybody to feel the journey. Um, because you you know half the movie is this guy riding a camel and it's always shot from left to right on the screen because so, he's wanting everybody to focus that it's a journey. And how many times did you see him riding camels? This movie, oh yeah, two hours, yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I think it's I think he's wanting to bring you along for the journey of the movie, which we all oh, don't get me wrong. felt. I get it, and, and it was this long. was wonderfully <laughs> shot. There's plenty of amazing angles and scenes, and uh, a, a lot of these shots that were done outside were just, you know, wonderfully timed. Um, but yeah, no, it is a little uh, kind of like what you were saying, Kyle. It's a little self indulgent sometimes. Yeah, because uh, that, that sometimes if if you oh. linger on a lot of different scenes, and I understand that you want to like understand the journey, but I also think it takes away some of the impact of other scenes that might have been more impactful if every other scene wasn't drawn out. You know what I mean? Yeah. So typically you want to use like a long drawn out scene to really emphasize something where this whole movie's in- emphasized of this, you know, like you were saying, this long journey. But because of that, I think that lengthened the movie a lot by just yeah. Yeah. almost a lot of lingering scenes. Yeah, yeah. Like, I understand, like, I appreciate the idea of like trying to make it an absolute journey, but also like, to me, I also watch music. I watch movies almost like as music goes, where you want to have a downbeat, followed by an upbeat, playing a downbeat, upbeat. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. if you watch it from like a musical perspective in my mind, of like you know, in terms of pacing, like there's like these kind of downbeats of long, drawn out shots. I feel like they go too long to be you know to you know help emphasize the high times a little bit. That's just kind of my personal take, but it's still excellent movie. I have a got the shots because a lot of the shots just frankly didn't exist before then, so it's still <laughs> incredible for those reasons. Um, so no, it's just like it's one of He's like just modern standards move past that a little bit, but it's still excellent, pretty much. And now on to the uh, more of the technical specs. Uh, We got the sound mix: seventy millimeter six track, seventy millimeter prints, mono thirty five millimeter optical prints, four track stereo thirty five millimeter magnetic prints, and Dolby Atoms. Uh, This is once again for all the different cuts that there were. Uh, This movie was done in color. Its aspect ratio is two point two by one in the 70 millimeter prints uh also 2.35 by one and 2.2.1 uh the camera that was there's a couple cameras used so we have the mitchell bfc uh 65 millimeter camera there's super panavision 70 lenses uh mitchell fc 65 model the super panavision 70 lenses and uh those are all the Cameras and lenses that were used, so a lot of different different well, takes for different, different varieties. Yeah. Like they had to bring the whole tool bag with them when they wanted to do this whole movie because you never much, know what you yeah. need, and they need a little bit of everything. <laughs> uh, this was edited in Technicolor, London, UK. Uh, and interesting fun fact about a lot of the filming: so there was some filming was done in Saudi Arabia. Uh, there were some scenes that were filmed in Jordan, I think, and then there was. Uh, uh, a lot of the scenes in the UK Spanish. were actually filmed in locations where uh, Lawrence himself, uh, the actual person, had been uh, lived, and in some of the scenes had actually fought, which is interesting. Um, where was I? Film length: 
6,093 meters of the 35 millimeter print, and then 7,616 meters of uh, 70 millimeter. I'm pretty sure this was just uh, canisters upon canisters of film. <laughs> somewhere in the future or somewhere out there right now, there's like a 70 hour cut. Well, they, they said <laughs> in the, when they went to remaster, I think 1989, it's yeah. in the notes somewhere, 450 rusted can mm-hmm. of film. That, that sounds about right. Absolutely insane. <laughs> no. So how many meters of film did they shoot for this? 7,000. Oh, like, and it, of fil- oh, I only have the, the length of cut, the, the final right. cut. We don't yeah. even know what the uh, what, what, how much was filmed. Like, um, just just an absurd amount. I believe the film In the Heart of Darkness, believe they have, like, that was the whole thing, like, it being a, you know, a, it was a shooting uh, monstrosity. So they're, like, where they had, like, five-hour cuts of the film or just real upon real footage because <laughs> years of development. So, like... Close to that, I reckon, of being just incredibly huge. Right. And we'll never know the final number, because who knows what got lost or what's been saved. You know. still, they're still looking to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, Combing the fields of Saudi Arabia. <laughs> <laughs> Negative format, 65mm, uh, Eastman 50T. Cinemagraphic process, digital intermediate, which for, for the 4K 2012 release, re-release, and there was a 2020 remaster, which was done in Dolby Vision. Uh... Then Super Panavision 70. So there's once again, there's been lots of different restorations, re-releases, and cuts uh, done with this movie. Printed film format, 35mm animal graphic, Eastman, uh, 70mm Eastman, Technicolor, uh, dye transfer prints, 35mm. Um, and usually this would be a good time to dive into those many, many different things that I just spatted out. Uh, but this is a long one, so we're just going to keep going. Uh, that is uh, my part of that, and then my favorite part, which is the <laughs> awards. I'm going to get a drum set in here next. All right. Animal. All right. So in the, there's the one that starts down there. Oh well, look, would you look at that? This one's going to be in reverse order of a year. Of the awards. Very interesting how I have them organized today. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> so, this year, actually, uh, online oh, last film. Year. Last year. Now. La- oh, my bad. Last the year has changed. Times have passed. You mean it's not 2020? The sands of time <laughs> caught us all. We're all older. So, uh, <laughs> last year, 2021, Online Film and Television Association, it won the OFTA Film Hall of Fame. Huh. So still winning awards to this day. Excellent. Good for them. 2013, Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films, USA. Uh, it, it wouldn't be a Tragedy of Cinema podcast without us mentioning the Academy of Science <laughs> Fiction, Fantasy, I'm just waiting for the, goals, the Golden Plunger or the Schmooze Award or something. Schmooze needs to come back. we got to make right. our own thick awards to award here. Year <laughs> we year do. The Dundies. He has we a do, big yeah, part of the Dundies. I mean, what we should do one day is throw in a fake one and then see if people could spot which one the fake one is amongst <laughs> yeah. the actual It won't awards. matter. You'll slaughter the fake one, too. So <laughs> exactly. So they won't know. <laughs> this is the Irish Crab of 1913. Like, wow. Wow. <laughs> All right. Uh, this was nominated for a Saturn Award of Best DVD and Blu-ray Special Edition Release for the 50th Anniversary Collector's Edition Release. International Film Music Critics Award. Uh, this was nominated for Best Archival Release of an Existing Score. PGA Awards 2001. 
It uh, won a PGA Hall of Fame motion picture. 1999 Online Film and Television Association. It won the LFTA Hall of Fame for motion picture once again. National Film Preservation Board, 1991. That's when it finally hit the National Film Registry. 1964, the David D. Donatello Award. It won a David for Best Foreign Production. And then it also won a David for Best Foreign Actor, Peter O'Toole. And it seems that Peter O'Toole tied with uh, Frederick March for Seven Days in May. You ever seen that one? No, not. Have you? Nope. No? This movie doesn't exist. Us, <laughs> on then. the list it goes. Yeah. Right. That, that's thick reward right <laughs> Put it on the list. <laughs> 1964, Grammy Awards. Nominated for a Grammy of Best Original Score from a Motion Picture or Television Show. 1964, also Italian National Syndicate of Film Journalists. Won a Silver Ribbon for Best Foreign Director, David Lean. 1964, uh, Kinma Junpo Awards. It won the Kinma Junpo Award for Best Foreign Language Film. I thought you weren't going to make awards up, Terrence. <laughs> 1963, Academy Awards, USA. It won an Oscar for Best Film Editing. Uh, it also was nominated for an Oscar for Best Actor in a Leading Role, Peter, Peter O'Toole. It won an Oscar for Best Sound, won an Oscar for Best Picture, Won an Oscar for Best Director. Man, they're just taking all, all the Oscars away like in 1963. Um, won an Oscar for Best Music Score, uh, Substantiary Original. Nominated Oscar Best Actor in a Supporting Role, Omar Sharif. Won an Oscar for Best Cinematography, Color, Freddie Young. Um, that one, I think, is well-deserved. Like hey. I said, even though the shots lingered, that uh, he deserved that cinematography win it, right there. It did miss out on an 11th Oscar nomination because for the Best Costume Design because someone forgot to submit Phyllis Dalton's name for consideration. Oh, no! Oh, my oh, God! Wah, wah, wah. Oh, man. That, like, for the rest of my life, I'd be mad at that man. <laughs> <laughs> mad at everybody. <laughs> See, that's me. Yeah, right. Did you win an Oscar? No. <laughs> I would have. I did get the note in time. <laughs> uh, nominated for Oscar for Best Writing Screenplay Based on a Material from Another Medium. Uh, and then won an Oscar for Best Art Direction, Set Direction uh, for a Movie in Color. 1963, America Cinema Editors USA. Nominated for an Eddie of Best Edited Film Feature. The BAFTA Awards. That is a BAFTA Film Award for Best British Screenplay. Also won for Best Film of Any Source. Also won for Best British Actor, Peter O'Toole. Also won for Best British Film. And then finally was nominated for Best Foreign Anthony, uh, Actor, Anthony Quinn. 1963, uh, Directors Guild of America, USA, it won the DGA Award for Outstanding Directional Achievement in Motion Pictures. Then we have the Golden Globes, 1963. It's just racking them all in. Dude. Oh, yeah, it's bringing them all in. Nominated for a Golden Globe of Best Original Score, won a Golden Globe for Most Promising Newcomer Male, Omar Sharif. Won a Best Golden Globe, Best Director, David Lean. Won Golden Globe for Most Promising Newcomer, Peter O'Toole. Nominated for Golden Globe, Best Actor, Drama, Peter O'Toole. Nominated for Golden Globe, Best Actor, Anthony Quinn. Won a Golden Globe, there's so many of these. Best Cinematography, obviously, Freddie Young. 
won a Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor and then won Best Motion Picture Drama. Nice. Whew, that was a mouthful. And there's more. <laughs> 1963, Laurel Awards. Nominated for Top Male Supporting Performance, Omar Sharif. Fourth place. Nominated for the Golden Laurel for Top Male Dramatic Performance. Once again, Peter O'Toole, fourth place. It did won. Won. Uh, <laughs> it did win uh, Top Roadshow. And then it was nominated for Top Song, which is the theme song for this. It was uh, fifth place. 1963, Writers Guild of Great Britain. It won the Writers Guild of Great Britain Award. That's that's like you could have shortened that like you know most other really long drawn out <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, the W G O G B award. Awards don't do anything short. O G B Y N. Oh jeez, uh, best British dramatic screenplay. B Y N award. Oh my gosh! Only pregnant women can apply. <laughs> well been there. <laughs> 1962, British Society of Cinematographers. Best Cinematography Award, Freddie Young. And then finally, 1962, National Board Review USA. It won NBR Award uh, Top 10 Films, and it also won Best Director. Uh, And those are... The review. Those are the awards. The awards. Those are the awards. Terrence, you can breathe now. That's fantastic. Terrence needs an intermission. Yeah. So I have the movie just to do that. So Kyle, yeah, why don't you go and drive on over to the cast that, on your camel? That's the goal. I got the loots finished. We got them worked out. We got big old cast here. So let's go through it. All right. In the 1960 Lawrence of Arabia, the main character, of course, is played by the legendary Peter O'Toole, playing Thomas Edward Lawrence. He's also best known for possibly Henry II in the 1968 film The Lion in Winter. He also appeared in the 2000 film Troy. And... Um, uh, he was Platius Eli Cross in the film The Stuntman. Next up, we have Alec Guinness, the legendary Alec Guinness, playing Prince Faisal. Um, of course, easily most recognizable for playing Ben Kenobi or Obi-Wan Kenobi in the original Star Wars trilogy. Um, or Colonel Nicholson in the 1957 film The Bridge of River Kwai. And he also appeared in the 1972 film Brother Son, Sister Moon. Next up, don't forget get, about Scrooge. That's a pretty. That's a pretty notable one. That's right, Scrooge. He also Scrooge. You know, Alec Guinness. You know, he's just really trying to. You know, he's just paving the way for Scarlett Johansson to play other characters of other races. <laughs> and so, you know, good on him for Alec Guinness. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then we'll be mad at Tony <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. for Tropic Thunder. No, Robert Downey Jr. He'll, he'll never be canceled for that. That's great. You know, he worked. He owned it. He owned it. He's good. Anthony Quinn plays. Uh, Andre Abe Taji, um, Taish. Um, by the way, these um, Arabic, Arabic name pronounces are going to be difficult for me, so of course I'm going to push them a little bit, so apologies in advance. <laughs> or not that one name. You know, for our uh, live show, I'm going to make little signs that people can hold up and say, I terrenced it every time. I terrenced it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We'll just invite. We'll invite the crowd to come up to you. Like, okay, you think you can pronounce it better? You let's try. <laughs> I do it perfectly every time. Great. <laughs> uh, he was in such films as the 1964 film Zorba the Greek, 
1956, it was The Lust for Life. And in 1976, it was The Message. Then we have Jack Hawkins playing General Allenby. He was also in the 1957 film The Bridge of Wurrakwai, um, the 1964 film Zool, and the 1959 film Ben-Hur, which we covered on this very podcast. There's a lot of crossover between this movie and The Bridge of Wurrakwai. It's just one of the things, like, if you could be in a World War One or Two movie, then you were in every movie. <laughs> well, it's, it's kind of like Ben-Hur and uh, The Ten Commandments. There was a lot of... There was a lot of crossover there, too. too. Yeah, yeah. So, was like, you know, that was like... Those were the big ticket items of their era, just like, you know, or like biblical movies or war movies. So just right. like... Well, I think it's also like, you know, you work with a crew and you get along so well. That or it just, you know, hey, we had a pretty good successful thing going. Let's bring a lot of the same people we worked with. And That's true. That's true even today. So, yeah, I believe that. Well, but this is also during a time where a lot of those guys were under contract with the... That's all studios, too. So. <laughs> That's all... Tron contracts were big, binding, and uh, came with chains. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, okay, next up we have Omar Sharif playing Sharif Ali. Um, he was in the movie such as 1965, Dr. Zivago, uh, Zivago, or Shivago. Shivago, thank you. Shivago, Thank you. I was here instead. Um, also, 1984 film, Top Secret. And the the 2003 film, Monsieur Abraham. Abraham, Abraham. There we go. Next up, we have Jose Ferreira playing the Turkish Bay. He was in this film as the 1954 film, The Kane Mutiny. The 1984 film, Dune. The 1952 film, and the 1952 film, Moulin Rouge. Then we have Anthony Quayle playing Colonel Brighton. He was in the 1956 film, The Wrong Man. The 1961 film, The Guns of Novarone, and the 1981 film, Masada. <laughs> Next up, we have Claude Rains playing Mr. Dryden. We know what he was from, don't we, Terrence? Oh, yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. What was it? Invisible Man. He's like, I don't know. <laughs> I was waiting for you to say. <laughs> I, of course, like, I, Claude Rains for me, like, always just the Casablanca, the, uh, the, uh, Pet too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Too, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he was also in the 1946 film, Notorious, and of course, The Invisible Man, 1933. Next up, we have Arthur Kennedy playing Jackson Bentley in the 1949... Uh, he was also appeared in the 1949 film Champion Bright Victory and the 1951 film Peyton Place. Moving forward, I have a next page here. That's only half full, so we're almost done. Donald <laughs> Wolfett plays General Murray. He was in the 1954 film of Vengalia and the 1959 film Room at the Top and the 1964 film Beckett. Then we have jo- I.S. I. Johar playing Gassim. He was the 1978 film Death on the Nile, the 1974 film Rifles, and the 1970 film Johnny Mera Nam. And we have Gamil Ratib plays, uh, Ra- plays Majid in the 1960 film from Lashim Da Dimas, and the 1964 film Shadow of Evil, and the 1967 film To Commit a Murder. Finally, we have, uh, next up we have Michael Ray playing Faraj. He was in the 1956 film The Brave One and the 1958 film Flood Tide. Then we have John Demick playing Dowd. Da- he was in the 1959 film Killers of Kilimanjaro. And finally, we have Zio um, Mohyedin Moyed- uh, playing Tophis. He was also in the 1960 film, film um, Carton. Carton. There we go. And that is a cast of Lords of Arabia. All right, Kyle, I'm going to give this to you since Terrence would probably not be like, I don't know. Go ahead and give us a synopsis of <laughs> Lords of Arabia. 
<laughs> sand. Sand everywhere. He has the synopsis with him. <laughs> oh, that's, so cruel. That's a quote. That's not a synopsis. <laughs> um, yes, but it, it follows the um, the life journey of, of T. Lawrence and uh, kind of a... It's, and his journey um, in World War One to um, lead, well, not lead the Arab nation, but um, essentially lead an army of the, in the Arab nation to uh, great victories and to taking um, what was the last city they wanted to take? What was the name of the last city? Do you remember? No, nope. you remember? No, nope, we don't remember. We're still getting movies, guys. Well, they were going to Jerusalem, weren't they? But I don't think they made no, it to Jerusalem. They, uh, they stopped. That before. was the very end, right? Uh, but they're, they're, before that, the 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 mm-hmm. well, essentially something it, with an A. It follows the life of <laughs> Teen Lawrence's military campaign yeah. and his both his successes and failings and very uh, inaccurate struggles throughout like, and romanticized. But yes, 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 <laughs> in both accounts, he's romanticized and um, infactual in many respects. Th- this movie set the precedence for like. Based Fact on check. A true story. <laughs> well, no, no. Like this, this was one of the uh, like when this came out. It, it was one of the movies that sort of gave a lot of writers and directors inspiration to do more based on a true story movies. Um, at the same time, it was also the start of like you know movies that were based on a true story. But it's very what they don't say is it's very loosely right. based on a true story. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of key figures who are left out. Um, in particular, uh, T. W. Lawrence's handler, um, who was uh, I don't remember her name. I, I was reading up on it. Very fascinating. Um, and then a lot of like sort of the movie showed sort of an ineptitude of both sort of the British military and also um, uh, the efficiency uh, the of efficiency the... and even the you know some of the people in the seats of, of power in Arabia itself um, were like they did a lot more than the movie sort of put out it, it kind of like put all the weight on it Lawrence put the weight of the world on Lawrence yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. it was way. like Lawrence really was the driving force of it I'm like yes he did do good things but there was also a lot of other key people who were doing things also um, and there were already a lot of things in motion before he even showed up mm-hmm. um, yeah, at the same time a lot of those like a, a lot more of those in- inaccuracies are kind of like, like kept cut for time or trying to find a way to fit this incredible life into a four hour movie now true. <laughs> you know, and you know. here's what's the funniest part is uh, a lot of this is, is based on his own um, biography uh, that yeah. he wrote of himself. So a lot of these events are in question, and even today, historians are like, "Did that? Did that really happen?" Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. There are many stories <laughs> in question. So it's like, it's it, to me, it's like to me, the film itself is easier to look as an adaptation of his own biography and yeah. not as an historically accurate. Uh, that, that's movie. that's the best that's, way to explain it, right there. Yeah, it's way. Yeah, it's way. No, I, I took the words out of your mouth, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, all right, so let's move along. Let's talk about this movie a little bit. I think you still have some notes over there, too. Yeah, so I do, actually. So. Uh, I can start us off. Oh, start us uh, off. So here's a fun quote from Steven Spielberg. Uh, mm-hmm. He said, Lawrence of Arabia was the first film I saw that made me want to be a movie maker. Another quote from Steven Spielberg was, um, it was in Phoenix. Uh, I was 13 or 14 at the time, and it was overwhelming. Uh, overwhelming of trying to stay awake? <laughs> overwhelming of beauty of the cinematography? Well, that time it was only a three-hour movie. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, you still have all those two, I think. That is awesome. So, it was um, Spielberg's Avengers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the director's cut. He would uh, hate that comparison. <laughs> on, his, on his first location scouting trip in Jordan, director Sir David Lean discovered the remains of the Turkish locomotives of Robotracks T.E. Lawrence had destroyed during the Arab Revolution. After 40 years of being out there in the sun, they hadn't even rusted. 
Wow. A lot of archaeological find. Right? Mm. They belong in a museum. <laughs> and so they were. <laughs> this movie was actually banned in many Arab countries. Uh, Omar Sharif, uh, Sharif arranged a viewing with President Gamal Abdel Nasser of Egypt to show him that there was nothing wrong with the way they were portrayed. Nasser loved the movie and showed it uh, and allowed it to be released in Egypt, mm. where it went on to become a monster hit. Interesting. Yeah. So he's like, look, you know, you've, all you're hearing is these rumors. Let me show you what it's about. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And indeed, like, it's just a film like, you know. It, I mean, once again, it was, it was there, there was things that were, it, I wouldn't say it was a, a bad portrayal, but they did sort of um, dramatize it a bit much. Like, there, there are some practices that were, yes, those are practices, but it wasn't as, like, crazily shown as it was. Do we know if the, the, the kid actually died in the quicksand with him in real life? There, okay, so that's that's a, that's another interesting thing. So a lot of those those really sandy shots uh, are not accurate of the actual terrain that uh, Lawrence crossed. Um, the the deserts that he fought in and uh, crossed were just uh, just kind of dry arid land. It wasn't really uh, sandy. sand. It wasn't sandy dunes. And what was it when they came across like all the seashells or bricks or whatever in this movie with the camels stepping over? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. In the middle of a desert, I was like. <laughs> Do you remember that? No, I, I remember. But yes, it was very odd. Yeah, and um, interesting choice. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, the answer dry, is arid, cool. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm going to say. That's the big sandy dunes make for great shots, not dry, arid flat land. <laughs> uh, King Hussein of Jordan lent an entire brigade of his Arab Legion as extras for the movie, so most of the film's soldiers are played by real soldiers, and that Hussein also frequently visited the set to see what was going on. Um. Costume designer Phyllis Dalton deliberately made Peter O'Toole's army outfit too small and ill-fitting to signify Lawrence's discomfort with his military uniform, hmm. which is very interesting. Yeah, very appropriate. Uh, this movie took longer to make than it did for the real T.E. Lawrence to go from lieutenant to colonel and to see the desert tribes unite and thus tip the balance in the Allies' favor against the Turks in World War One. This movie <laughs> lasted longer <laughs> to film. Yeah, I mean, it took longer to film. Yeah. Um, this is the first time Peter O'Toole tried riding a cam, or the first time he tried riding a camel. Blood oozed from his jeans. Uh, <laughs> he said, "This is a very, very, very delicate Irish arse." He warned <laughs> his instructor. He finally mastered his camel riding techniques by adding a layer of sponge rubber under the saddle to ease his bruised backside. A practical intervention, quickly adoption by the actual Bedouin tribesmen acting as extras during the desert uh, location filming. They gave O'Toole the nickname. Ab al Isfanja, which means father of the sponge. Peter O'Toole, father of the sponge. It's amazing. God, put that on tombstone. <laughs> uh, um, almost all the movie of this movie goes from left to right, as we talked about. He did this to promote the uh, vision of a journey. Yeah. So, so speaking of interesting like shots and shooting, uh, I, I got a bit of information that I, I found really fascinating. Uh, so the 35mm Master Introspective uh, produced by Technicolor in 1966 had a real 2A flipped. So the left to right became reversed on screen uh, for about 10 minutes on all the prints, including the initial video release of television broadcast. So with no writing on screen during these 10 minutes, it was nearly impossible to spot these errors. Uh, so basically, there are certain parts of the movie that were flipped. They were mirrored. Um, and then during the restoration by Robert A. Harris, uh, Sir David Lean pointed out the error, and then it was corrected. So the version we watched didn't have those errors. Mm-hmm. Um, this reversal also led to an urban myth about the movie that Lawrence had switched his watch from his left wrist to his right wrist. 
uh, and due to the reversed imagery of the A2, real A2, it had indeed appeared to do so in the early release of the film. So that that's really interesting how an error led to an urban legend that got found out and then debunked by fixing it. <laughs> uh, sir, Ali Guinness was made up to resemble the real Faisal as closely as possible. When they were shooting in Jordan, several people who knew the man mistook him for the real thing. That's good makeup <laughs> that's, artistry. That's impressive. Well, they, they do show... Um, Side by side comparisons. Was it the? uh, I was looking online um, of like you know the actors that were and the people they portrayed. You know what they did pretty good job of, uh, especially for what nineteen sixty two. Yeah, nineteen sixty two. It's uh, it's really impressive work done. Um, Do you think this film would have worked in black and white? I think it would feel more boring than it was. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Uh, I think part of what makes this this movie fascinating is, like I said, those shots. Part of those shots is, uh, you know, part of just seeing the the sunset and the you know different colors that it brings out uh, in the costumings too. And uh, of course, the the outfits have a lot of meaning themselves. And I think you would lose a lot of that in yeah. black and white. There'd be a lot more lost than I think would be gained possibly in black yeah. and white. Yeah, and. Um, did anybody happen to catch if any camels or horses lost their lives due to stunts in this? As we have talked about Stagecoke, where they just slaughtered a bunch of Oh, yeah. Uh, I couldn't find anything, but I have my skepticisms. <laughs> <laughs> Spit on me, camel. <laughs> no, with any production of those arrows, like animals tend to be wounded or killed and those kind of yeah, things. Right, it's incredibly sad, much. but uh, we haven't looked up any official numbers about that. <laughs> um, although women have no lines in the movie whatsoever, they occasionally can be seen in the background of some scenes. Regarding Arabian women, tradition forbade um, Bindoan women from being photographed. So costume designer Phyllis Dalton had Christian woman extras dressed up in flowing robes. Hey, you know. Okay, I, I apologize in advance. You're good. But you know, if they had women speaking roles in this, it would have been a six-hour movie. Boom, boom. Ah, sorry. <laughs> Terrence is now buried in Starting the new year right with a little bit of sexism. Oh, man. Oh, no, we love our women actresses. Uh, <laughs> Not women, though. Um, no, no, no. That came out wrong, too. We this love one. everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, jeez. We are getting Canceled. <laughs> well, I see the views going down now. <laughs> I won't listen to Jembo. He doesn't like women. <laughs> Boy, this is going downhill fast. What did I do wrong? <laughs> so, hey, the score that was used. It's a good thing I can edit this stuff out. Jembo, I told you I would be your downfall. <laughs> let me see if I can. Let me see if I can do something else to wound you guys. Uh, <laughs> Uh, While working on the 1989 restoration of the film, those involved had a hard time locating Arthur Kennedy, or Jackson Bentley, for the voiceover work. They heard he was living in Savannah, Georgia, and phoned every Kennedy in the Savannah phone book. The actor finally returned their call, and he recorded his dialogue on just a three-fourth inch tape at a local television station. That's pretty crazy. Cancel yourselves with that. <laughs> well, Terrence. I mean, Kyle. It's over. You see someone mess up, you just immediately send Terrence. <laughs> Uh, initially, the production used white plastic cups for drinking their water, but the wind would frequently pick up and blow them across the desert, so they'd be shooting the film. It would ruin the shot because these plastic cups are flying by, <laughs> so they'd have to turn it down. Uh, so they banned them and replaced them. Uh, David Lee banned them and replaced them with ceramic mugs instead. Uh, man. I'm, yeah. I'm just going to leave that one out because that'll lead me down another, <laughs> another <laughs> rabbit hole. Uh, of- and the actual battle of Aquab, A-Q-A-B-A, 
Aquaba, I think. Aquaba. That's uh, what it was. That's, yeah, yeah, yes. we found the thing. Uh, Lawrence was nearly killed when his camel threw him after he actually shot in, it got shot in the head. Uh, oh, God. That, the after he actually shot? shot in the head. What? His camel threw him after he got shot in the head. I don't know if it was Lawrence or if it was a camel. Uh, I, was, I mean, clearly it was the camel. Surely it was the camel. And not so subtle coincidence, during filming, Peter O'Toole was nearly killed. A gun or rocket used to signal action, and the first Aquabot take fired prematurely, and O'Toole was thrown by his panicked camel in front of the charging horses. Other accounts hold that O'Toole was temporarily blinded by pellets from effects guns and lost control of the animal, or that he was too inebriated to hold on. Oh, Fortunately for <laughs> O'Toole, the camel trained for such mishap stood over him and prevented him from being trampled. So the camel protected him. At least by the camel wasn't shot in the head. <laughs> <laughs> well, that we know of. Movie productions are tough still today, and oh my god, in the past. <laughs> uh, the legendary superstar actor Marlon Brando uh, and Albert Finney both turned down the role of Lawrence for this movie. Um, um, in, two, in June of 2008, the American Film Institute listed this as number one of the ten greatest films in the genre epic. It's in the epic genre. So this was, I don't know if I've seen your awards or not, but I just found that. <laughs> really interesting is uh, Andre de Toth suggested a shot where bags of blood would be a machine gun, basically, <laughs> yeah. spraying the screen with blood. Uh, second unit... Say little, my little wow. friend. Yeah. <laughs> So, second unit cinematographer Nicholas Rogue approached Sir David Lean with this idea, but Lean found it disgusting. And uh, Detoth subsequently left the project afterwards. He's like, a- if I can't spray blood across the screen, what am I doing? It's a here? little overkill. I just want to find out, like, he later found Quentin Tarantino. Uh, or something like that. Yeah, I know. Right? Like, Soldiers- we're not making that movie. <laughs> Soldiers from the Moroccan army were employed as extras without pay, which they understandably resented. During all hours, they actually took pot shots at the cast and crew. Sir David Lean included others deserted between takes and never came back. That's perfectly fine with me. I know, right? <laughs> when filming in Jordan, every drop of water for the production was brought in by truck from the nearest well, which was over 150 miles away. Oh wow. God. That's crazy. Yeah. This movie had been slated to go in production in 1953 with John Wayne in the lead. Could you imagine John Wayne? Well, oh, they're an era of pilgrims. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But it, well, fortunately, I think, it collapsed due to lack of funding in 1953. <laughs> that would have been a much not, much less movie. Not, not as great. Yeah. That, that would have, uh, you know, got some of the other end awards. Mm-hmm. Um, roster Robert A. Harris, the editor, Ann V. Coates, went through 450 rusted old film cans for the 1989 restoration. So that's what we were talking yeah. about earlier. That's a lot of rusted 450. old film cans. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Peter O'Toole was often injured during filming. He received third-degree burns, sprained both of his ankles, tore ligaments in both his hip and thigh, broke his thumb, dislocated his spine, fractured his skull, was bitten by a camel, sprained his neck, tore a groin muscle, and was concussed twice. That was just Terrence last year. He also seriously <laughs> injured his hand during filming by punching through the window of a car- caravan while drunk. A brace or bandage can be seen on his left thumb during the first train attack scene, presumably due to this incident. Shoot, I had all that in one of the eight jobs <laughs> yeah. I had last year. <laughs> That's why I said. Peter Toole was also known for attending most of his press interviews after the movie was already filmed. Completely, completely. Yeah. Well, you're going to come to find out he was filming drunk too here. In a- yeah, he filmed drunk. He interviewed drunk. He did everything drunk. Peter Toole loved himself a drink or two. <laughs> when uh, shot, uh, shooting Peter Toole and I.S. Johar riding together on a single camel. 
Sir David Lean saw that they had trouble staying on the camel and wondered why. Upon closer inspection, a large block of hashish was discovered. Both actors were completely stoned. The shooting was abandoned for the day. That's amazing. Dude, where's my camel? <laughs> Got a hold of that hashish. Speaking of camels again, when the company moved from Jordan to Spain uh, aboard ship, the camels traveled reclined with their legs drawn up under them so they wouldn't get seasick. After camels got to Spain, they needed a day to recuperate from the ordeal because they could tra- they could not travel to the shooting locations. And speaking of travel, with the train track, two miles of railroad track were laid for the train scenes. Not only that, it took impeccable planning to prepare that particular railroad attack scene. And uh, the filmmakers could only film the sequence once. So it's one of those things where, like, we're going to destroy a bunch of stuff. We can only do this once. Yeah. Um, after careful, careful testing, they determined that it would take 10 pounds of gun cotton to cut the rails and another 10 to send the train cars teetering off the track. So that whole scene where the, the train's coming down and gets derailed and everything... Uh, yeah, they did that, and they only had one time, one one chance to do, to do it. And instead yeah. of doing it in Arabia, they actually they did that in Spain too. Another yeah, out there. Uh, and to control the train's motion through the desert sand, uh, they had to plant steel plates under the sand. Uh, the engineering the engineer set the locomotive at full throttle, then jumped off before the tracks exploded. Wow, <laughs> so that's a little action scene <laughs> yeah, behind yeah. the scenes of the action scene. Make a film about the making of this Lawrence Arabia. Talk about dedication. I'm going to put this thing full throttle. And I'm going to jump off it. <laughs> but we only got one take. But we that would be an amazing film. Though, actually, a film just about the making of Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> Not a documentary. I mean, a film just the drama. There is. That there's, a, there's, a, uh, there's a PBS documentary, I believe, that talks about No, there's, but he there's... wants an actual film about while oh, filming. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. When film cons- uh, conservationist Robert A. Harris and Jim Penton got permission for Columbia Pictures to restore the movie, four tons of of extraneous footage was delivered to their door. It took them nearly a year to get through all the material. I bet. Mm-hmm. Four tons. Yeah. Oh, speaking of a little bit of awards ceremony there, again, Steel Terrence Thunders. St- Steel Terrence Thunder. There we go. Not his thunders. <laughs> <laughs> the film was voted the 18th greatest film of all time by Entertainment Weekly. The charge on Aquaba employed 450 horses and 150 camels. There's no way that this thing got filmed and nothing happened with any of the animals. I'm just oh, saying. I'm just... Oh, oh, here you go. Are you ready? <laughs> they were trying to get some costs, really. Are you ready? Sorry, An appearance on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno in 1992. Mm-hmm. Peter O'Toole confessed quite proudly that out of fear of falling off during a big camel riding scene, he and Omar Sharif decided to get absolutely hammered and then tied themselves down on the camels before <laughs> shooting. By his own admission, he was so drunk that he had no idea where he was or what he was doing for the entire scene, which was the attack on Aquapa. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of drinking and him and like just traveling all over that Campbell, uh, during the shooting of this film, Peter O'Toole lost 28 pounds while making this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also spent three months learning how to live as an Arab before a frame of film was shot. He traveled across the desert with the Bedouin Camel Patrol, and he often slept rough under the stars amidst under silence, just as Lawrence had done as a child. Wow, that's so incredible. getting into character, I guess. Very serious actor. I like to drink too much, but very serious. Time. <laughs> yeah, and um, throughout his career, Peter O'Toole was notorious, notorious for fluffing his lines by breaking into fits of laughter so in this film. I can't relate to that at all. <laughs> his Kyle <laughs> is the Peter O'Toole of the podcast, <laughs> and his first major showing role was no exception. <laughs> so, yes, quite known for pulling a Kyle. Before he even knew it. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, but during that scene, uh, so he was doing a scene with uh, Ali Guinness, 
And every time he busted in the tent and was going to say his first line, he would just laugh. So they told him to go take a walk. So he, he walked away and he came back, you know, got himself under control. And he came back in through the tent, said his line perfectly. And Allie Guinness, is, Allie Guinness laughed and ruined the whole thing. So he, <laughs> so he said, got him. He got him back. I that's, thought that was funny, beautiful. dude. That's because, beautiful. you know, Allie Guinness always took his roles really. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the movie's military advisor and army officer went mad with sunstroke, wandering out of his tent in the dark of night and shooting at anything that moved across the landscape with live ammunition. He had to be carted away. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Almost pulled out Baldwin. Dang. Uh, Peter O'Toole's uh, performance as Lawrence oh, is the number one ranked performance of all time in Premier Magazine's 100 Greatest Performances of All Time. Um, Anthony Quinn applied his own makeup and would often arrive in real Arab clothes. At one point, Sir David Lee mistook him for a native on the studio lot, and he sent his assistant to tell Quinn that he had been replaced by his new arrival. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there good. is something in one of your guys' notes about camels and carcasses. So, we'll see, we're, I'm, I'm almost through mine. Getting so we're, we're, we're getting two there. Pages we're on, right. yeah, yeah, we're on the way. Yeah, um, this movie is also included, of course, on Roger Ebert's great movies list. I believe you mentioned that a little bit earlier, Ashley. Now I think I'm being redundant, but yeah, Roger Ebert could this mean one of his favorite films of all time. Sure. I mean, we've so. we've it's been on three different lists. We haven't mentioned Robert Ebert's, but we did mention like. Three other ones already. So yeah, I said it was it on Roger Ebert's movies. See, thousand one movies think, before I, you I, die. At the very top of the podcast, yeah. you were saying like, "Yeah, this is one of Roger Ebert's." It's on all the list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it's just how much I pay. And Terrence is asleep. <laughs> yeah, we, we always call Steve Jimbo talks. We don't listen to him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, and in fact, it's uh, also one thousand one movies you should see before you die. I think yeah, Jimbo so, mentioned that as well. I, I got something here. Uh, property manager Eddie Fowle coordinated the movie to Spain on a large uh, tramp steamer. The strangest part of the cargo was a hundred stuffed camels. He had brought the skins from a slaughterhouse in Jordan and had stuffed them in case they were needed for battle scenes, which they were. Um, so it's not that they were you; they were from the set. At least they got them from the slaughterhouse where it was already like. Well, you know, let me but, ask you. But still, well, but the, the camel <laughs> slaughterhouse—is it for food? Is it just like? Who knows? Probably. Uh, you know, at, at those kind of arid places, you make do with everything you have. Right. So, you know, that's one of those things, like, you can't let anything go to waste, including the camels that you used to ride on. Pretty much. So, I think that definitely is the case. It's like, I'm sure they were consumed. You know, <laughs> um, yeah. Moving on further facts. According to Peter O'Toole, he was taught to ride a camel by the grandson of Adi Abu Tao, the character played by Anthony Quinn. The grandson was a member of the Jordidian Ging Husan's Desert Patrol. Fun fact. As we mentioned before, where he went to go with the Desert Patrol to learn how to be Arabian. So, So I got, uh, when this movie came out, rumors spread. Excuse me, rumors spread that I just burped and ruined the take, all all of it. Um, Rumors spread that some theater managers turned down the air conditioning (laughs) or turned up the heat during the half hour before intermission in order to sell more ice cream and cold drinks. Fun fact, when I went to go watch Waterworld at the movies, the air conditioning was out. (laughs) That was terrible. It was like the middle of summer, 100 degrees in there. It's terrible. Uh, Talk about immersion, right? During the desert location shoot, after each rehearsal and take, 300 Bedouins wearing sandals muffled in wool were charged with smoothing out the desert sand with palm fronds so that no extraneous footprints would be visible in the sand. <laughs> so that reminds me of <laughs> space balls when they're combing the desert. <laughs> we ain't seen anything. <laughs> so good. Excellent movie. 
Terrence? All right. Uh, the only studio set built for this movie was on the set of the crypt in St. Paul's Cathedral, London, uh, the location of T.E. Lawrence's Bronze Memorial. I think that's really cool because that means that they only built one set. Everything else was already there that they used structures. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Yeah. And uh, Jack Hawkins and Sir Alec Guinness shaved their heads for their roles. Hmm. Obi-Wan was bald. A bald Obi-Wan. Let's start with... Terrence. Oh, Terrence, what did you think of this movie? <laughs> I know, I wanted to throw you for a little bit. That was really just like, is he, is he confused? Or? <laughs> and he's having a stroke, folks. <laughs> I got sand in me eyes. <laughs> the, the, the movie, it drove him crazy. It was too long. It was only a matter of time. <laughs> it dehydrated him. Um, it, 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 was a, it was a solid movie. So I both really enjoyed it and then also just had sort of gripes about it. Um, it was, it took three days to watch. No, four days to watch. <laughs> about an hour a day. Uh, so, yeah, it was it was very long. And it was definitely not something that, like, held my interest. Like, I appreciated the scenes and the cinematography of everything. Uh, but I was also, it, it, sometimes it had trouble keeping my attention. Um but other than that, it, like I said, solid movie. Uh, acting was great. Um, obviously, like, you know, and it's the smallest gripe that I would have about any quote-unquote based on a true story, which is that, you know, it left out a lot of, like, really big key figures and it really downplayed some others. Uh, and especially when people watch this movie and actually took it for face value of, like, oh, yeah, that's what happened, which did happen with this movie, by the way. Yeah. Uh, Mm-hmm. That is definitely a problem. Like a definitely a problem of based on true story films. Like we get the revisionist history being played as the real history. And exactly. That's unfortunate in many cases. Um, even if I do appreciate these films, even with their artistic licenses, it is still a bit of a. And, and you know, you it's know. it's easy for us to you know look at films now and be like, yeah, of course, duh. But uh, back then, it wasn't so obvious when a movie came out and went, this is based on a true story. Uh, to know that like you know facts are romanticized, skewed, and left out uh, when it comes to filming these movies, but. Uh, yeah, you know, solid movie. Um, if you are a movie buff, uh, particularly like when it comes to cinematography and stuff, it is definitely worth a watch. Uh, would I watch it again? Probably not. It's really long. Uh, and it, like I said, it, it had trouble grabbing my attention. I'm like, I think we were talking about earlier how like, you know, yeah, movies are long now, but I mean, they're, they're movies that, you know, grab and keep my attention. Uh, where this movie was just like, okay, I got to... I gotta walk away every now and then. Yeah, yeah. Um, Terrence, I want to echo a lot of what you said. I think this is actually. Well, I think we'd go a little bit further further than like, I think this is a, it's really a kind of a master class of filmmaking in many respects. I think it holds up very well today. And um, I have benefited like uh, you know sometimes like whenever I'm in the mood or like I'm gonna clean my entire my, my entire home, <laughs> just go through the entire house. I'll have that film actually playing in the background. I've done that a few times before. Um, we kind of had to delay this podcast a little bit, so I have many opportunities to watch this a few times because um, I have a more open schedule than you guys. And um, so yeah, I say I, I'm willing to watch it a few more times and kind of keep it in the background as almost like a mood piece, if you will, to kind of see the um, the amazing shots they have. And that's where those shots don't feel as indulgent because then I can just look at them like pretty colors and I'm happy. <laughs> and uh, so overall, I think this is an incredible film. I think it um, tackles a lot of the um, 
not 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 historical accurate, but it, not historically accurate. But it does tackle um, kind of analyzing t- who teens who T. Lawrence was as a human being, and um, should he be um, glorified or vilified or like seen as a victim by um, the the amount of war he's seen and like the things he did over his entire campaign. And I think it does a very good job of kind of like giving a clear idea of who he was as a person. Well, so. Who he wrote, how he said he was. <laughs> oh, I think the autobiography is still more um, self-gratifying than the movie itself. Um, from what I've, I, I haven't got a chance to read it myself, but I kind of read some online reviews about the book, and that's kind of one of those things where like, he kind of he paints himself in a, in a lighter, you know, shade of a of a day to day than maybe his reality. But um, overall, I think it's an, an amazing film. Um, absolutely worth seeing if you're a film buff or a cinematography nerd, like we all are here. And um, I think it's a you know, just absolutely deserves all the praise it's gotten. Um, Jimbo, how do you feel about the film? <sighs> you guys know I love films. I love older films. Uh, this one was really hard for me to watch because I didn't know anything about it. All I've ever seen was the DVD covers ever since I was little. You know what I mean? And yeah, I'm like, I get that. I don't. There's what would draw me to watch this movie? You know what I mean? If I was a kid or if I was an adult, what would draw me? This guy on with a, uh, um, you know, the the not a turban, but the. Uh, the guard, thank yeah, yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, the guy and, and the beginning of the movie, I was like, this guy's on a motorcycle. I was like, <laughs> what is this, The Great Escape 2? He, he dies in like the Well, that's what I said. Yeah. That's what I said. So, so in February 35, Lawrence was discharged from wrath and returned to a simple cottage at Clouds Hill. On May 13th, he was critically injured while driving his motorcycle through Dorset Countryside. He swerved to avoid the two boys on bicycles, which you see in, in the movie. And then uh, he died six days later from that. I so, do want to say it, it, it highlights um, sort of kind of a motif where he didn't he, – he was very adamant of saying he didn't want to grow old, and he didn't. Uh, and secondly, after the events of this movie, um, he actually tried to reenlist several times, uh, but because of sort of his fame, uh, he would keep enlisting under different names. But then they would keep finding out who he was, and then they would kick him off. Uh, well, he, you're, you're too well known. You got to get out. You're like I believe it was a, first he wanted to be a pilot, got kicked off the, uh, the the Royal Air Force, and then he tried to be in the tank brigade, uh, and then got kicked off when they found out who he was. Um, yeah, and and so last he, thing, he was kind of like really depressed. Yeah, afterwards. and I guess maybe from the last one, from a cultural perspective, the last thing you want is a war hero to come back home and then go back in and die. That's always <laughs> well. If you're a country who has him as a kind of a political figure in that mind or a political uh, tool, even yeah, even when he died, he was living yeah. under an assumed name too. So yeah. it's not like he, he was so famous. Just a little village, you know, a cottage or whatever. To me, I'm glad I watched this movie. Because it is an epic movie, it's an older movie. Is it something I'm going to revisit anytime soon? No, because I don't have four hours of my life to waste again. Never, I understand that. Um, yeah. Now, excuse t- me while I go binge uh, all all three of the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but to me, um, I don't even know how I feel about the movie. Is it is it good? It's you know, like in a perfect world, I'd have even more time to spend with it and kind of let and let it grow on me. But like, it's just we don't have that kind of. Well, once again, like luxuries. Uh, the, the, the biggest acolytes I can give is its cinematography and the acting is good. But as far as like overall, I I feel Jimbo on this one. Like that's part of why it wasn't keeping my attention. It's like, what am I? Why why am I watching this? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, there was like okay, so this guy's having, and then. You come to the end of the movie and like Alec Guinness is already in there with the the, the generals from the American. And he's like, you know, and he's like, look, you know, we've already we've already 
collaborated this together. We're good. You know what I mean? And Lawrence <laughs> is like, what? <laughs> He's yeah. like, then why am I out here w- wasting my life, you know, trying to do this? He's like, oh, it was all part of the plan. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it was like kind of a slap in his face, you know what I mean? And you even see it at the end, and, and and I feel for him at the end when he's driving away, and you see the people coming back. You know what I mean? And 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 he's looking. I'm like, man, I should have stayed with him. Is what I got out of it. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Or or that he has no true home at that point because you know his loyalties have always been to the you know the the, Brit- the British and not all that right. that kind of like loyalty. But then he has also this strong pool to stay with the Arabians, and so he like he's a man of two lands that belongs to no one, and it's it's. So he definitely did become a nomad. Yeah, know, yeah, and, uh, like, yeah. He, he became a true nomad at that point, and uh, it, it's and it's it's sad to see how he's both used as a tool by both political parties in that kind of situation, by both the Arabians and the government and the government he served, and it's uh, it's a little disheartening and like a little hard to see sometimes because he had these grand ambitions of being like the savior of Arabia in his own eyes. I think he wanted to pretend that he was almost a part of divinity um, and have that crushing reality happen where it's like the world keeps trucking on regardless of what you do is uh, a a strong, uh, a very difficult pill to swallow for a man like uh, T. Lawrence. So like I said, that's why we did this podcast to force me to watch some of these movies. And I did find the uh, thousand one movies you must see before you die book. I bought it the other day, so nice. Nice. Uh, it's got a checklist in there and everything. There's some humdingers in there. <laughs> so we got we got movies for days. So I think we're going to wrap this up. It, it, it I would say watch it once. Um, if you're a movie buff, you might be able to, if you have four hours in the day to sit and watch this, or if you want to split it up. I found it easier to digest if I split it up into several days because I'd catch myself dozing off at certain parts of this film. If, if this movie was done now, it'd probably be like a limited time series, like kind of like the Band of Brothers or... Uh, oh, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it should have uh, been. Or a, a, a one-shot TV series or something, you know? Yeah, someone, one of those Yeah, like the, one of those kind of series where this, anything might be better that way. This is one um, movie where I would understand if people didn't watch it before we recorded it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, totally understandable. Speaking yeah. of that, uh, next week, what are we doing? That's a good question, Jimbo, because I have zero clue. Because I, <laughs> I know you both late. sent me a list. Uh, yeah, I can just uh, name I, one right I can now. Do one. Oh, is it a good one? Yeah, well, I guess we're doing Blade Runner. All right, Blade Runner, we're the original, doing Blade the Runner. original Blade Runner. Terrence has spoken, so Terrence, that means you have to show up next week. Yeah, of course. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. All right, Blade Runner. It is. So Harrison Ford. Uh, it's a great movie. Um, so it's been a while since we hit a sci-fi. Right. Last week. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Kyle, Terrence got to use that uh, last. Uh, watch your fingers. So, yeah, yeah. Watch your fingers. Terrence smashed his last week. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> I knew one of you was going to do it. So, I think this epic uh, podcast is coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And, and cut. cut. <laughs> you did it. Yay.